Hello everybody, I'm Nate. If I haven't met you, I'm really happy that you're here. We are in this series, we're calling it Practices. And what this is really about, if we boiled it down to, the, to some simple thoughts, would be this. Is we are in the process of learning what it means to follow Jesus. Not just to believe in him. So to believe in him, you're an adherent, and that's a good step. And I know some of us in the room, we're in that process, and we're trying to decide whether or not we believe um, that Jesus is who he says he was. Then the next step after that would be to follow him, to become a disciple. And we believe that that's a challenge. And so it's, it's not just about trying, it's about training. So when I try something, usually the first time I do it, I'm not very successful at it. And when it comes to spiritual development, we can get discouraged. Well, I tried and I, I couldn't do it. And so we move on. No, the point is we're training. So we're moving to develop and grow in these areas. And so this week, if you're following along in our journal, we talked about sacrifice and how sacrifice can help free us up to begin to follow him in new ways. So some of you I know like experienced, um, you, you, uh, you maybe fasted from media. Um, somebody I know very dearly loves to listen to the news and it kind of riles them up. And they fasted from their favorite podcasts and radio and I think it drove them nuts, but it created a healthy disattachment and spending the time. This was brilliant, I thought. Rather than spending my time listening and yeah, all that time that would have been spent paying attention to news and political issues, they spent praying for the nation and the country. I thought, that's a great, great step. So these are some of the things that people are experiencing. And for some of us, it's brand new. I am still the worst faster in the world missing meals. Like currently, just because I didn't eat breakfast, I feel faint I, I, somewhere I got to eat into my fast reserves and I should feel strong, but it just doesn't happen. And so if I say something weird, it's not my fault. It's because I haven't eaten for just a little bit. That's, that's the reality. So why are we doing this? To help us to follow. That's really it. So the passage of scripture we're going to read from is the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're actually going to read from the message because I, I think um, Eugene Peterson, who's a Montanan, just recently passed away. Uh, he, he, he explores the depths of the Greek language and brings out some beautiful thoughts. So in your notes, if you have the notes, both online on, on your app or the paper, you'll see it's both an NIV and message. So I want to set this up. The book of Hebrews, one day we're going to do a series because it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating book. But guess who it's written to? It's written to Hebrew or Jewish people. And they're spread throughout the Greco-Roman Empire but they live in enclaves, okay? Very different from how we do things in the United States. Um, ethnic groups in the, in the Roman world would live in neighborhoods with people just like them. Uh, if you went to other parts of the world, like um, I went to Curitiba, Brazil, southern Brazil. There's neighborhoods that are Japanese. There's neighborhoods that are German. So people groups live separately and their culture stays distinct. Well, in the first century, that's what the Hebrew people did. They were all over the Roman Empire, but in whatever city they lived in, they, they separated themselves. They lived in these blocks, these neighborhoods. And so the writer writes to Hebrew people, and here's what they're facing. They're tired and they're discouraged. 
They're tired and they're discouraged. Part of the reason they're discouraged is this. They're being rejected by their fellow Hebrew people. They've made this decision to follow Jesus. Now, Hebrew or Jewish people are always looking for the Messiah, this promised one from God. And those who are following Jesus have declared that Jesus was this one we're waiting for. And they experience rejection then from their family members. They're kind of between a rock and a hard place. They're living in these enclaves, but they're not accepted by peers. They're not accepted sometimes by family members. And they're finding that following Jesus is more challenging than they first anticipated. So the author writes, and it's an interesting thing. It's one of the only books in the Bible that we don't know who the author is. Uh, Most books, the author declares who they are. This one, the author never says his or her name. Uh, Many people would say it's Paul. It's a really distinct book, both philosophically, how the arguments are made, and then linguistically. It is um, probably the most complex Greek that you'll find in the entire New Testament. Uh, Church tradition says two men, either Apollos or Barnabas wrote. We really don't know. But what they write is impacted. So here's the context before we read from Hebrews chapter 12. The author is going to make a sports metaphor to describe discipleship. Okay, so if you're not into sports, hang in there. This is not about American football, all right? It's about an ancient sport, and he does this because everybody, all these Hebrews who are discouraged, who are finding that it's, it's a little more challenging to follow Jesus than they thought, he's going to give them an analogy to help them continue to grow. And the analogy is this. It's a sports arena, and it's an endurance race, okay? Sports arena and an endurance race. So I want to show you a picture. This is called the uh, Panathenaic Stadium. It has been rebuilt, but let me tell you about the history of this. This was originally built in 330 B.C. It went into a, a period of disarray. It was rebuilt in 140 A.D., and then it's been taken care of and rebuilt over and over. This is in ancient Greece, and In its original form, it had a capacity to seat 50,000 human beings. That is a lot of people. And I bet you anything, the bathroom facilities were terribly inadequate. (laughs) Right? You don't want to have to go to the bathroom in the middle of this. So 50,000 people. And this was kind of at the core of Greek culture. They loved Olympics. They loved running events. They loved anything that showed acts of endurance or strength. And so this was a part, and this has been there for thousands of years now. Now, here's the second one. This is one that hasn't been rebuilt. This is right outside the city of Troy or Troas. This one held about a third of the people. But you can tell it's an ancient, ancient stadium held maybe 15 to 20,000 people. People would crowd in there. So just before we read this text, I want you to put yourself in this stadium. It's a couple thousand years ago. There's someone who represents your city, and they're running in this race, and it's an endurance race. It's going to go on and on, test the limits of human endurance. And people who are cheering for their runner are sitting in certain sections. And it's crowded and it's loud. And there's an excitement that's palpable in the air. And so all of these observers are cheering on their runners. This is the setting that the author gives us. Now let's read together. 
Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Do you see what this means? And he's referring to the previous chapter we'll talk about in a second. All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, they're in that stadium. They're observing. You're in the race. You are actually the one who's running, and you have people that are cheering you on. It means we'd better get on with it, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, when you're weary, when you're uncertain how you can take another step, Go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Don't you just love that last phrase? (laughs) It'll shoot adrenaline, a surge of vitality deep into your souls. So here's the author of Romans, and he's writing to people who find that following Jesus isn't always easy. And sometimes they become distracted. Sometimes they become weary. Sometimes they don't know how they're going to go another day. And he writes them these beautiful words. So I'd like to explore this together. Here's the first thing that the author says. You need to know that you're in good company. You're in good company. So the NIV says we have this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. The version we read said you have all these pioneers in the faith rooting for you. One of the challenges with following Jesus is there are times when I feel really alone. Maybe it's in the midst of your significant relationships that you don't feel like people are at the same place where you're at. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's at school where you think, am I the only one running this race? Everybody else seems to be running a different race. They're pursuing other things. And I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I feel a bit isolated, and I feel alone. I don't know who to look to. I don't know if there's anybody there to encourage me. That's just part of the beauty of having community to fight that. But what the author says is, you and I are not alone in this race to follow Jesus. He goes all the way back in chapter 11. These pioneers... He's gone through the Hebrew like legends of faith. And he wants the people to know that the predecessors, the people before them, have made it. And if they've made it, you can make it. Here's some of who he lists in the previous chapter. He lists Abel. Okay, now, you're going to find something in common with almost all the heroes, these, these um, pioneers. All of them experience some sort of very, very significant trauma or trial in their life. So he says, I, I want to tell you about Abel. <laughs> now that's kind of a funny guy to have as a hero. Do you know who he was? He was the son of Adam and Eve. He was killed by his brother Cain. What? 
Yeah, think of Abel, that guy who was murdered by his brother. Why? Because this guy understood what God wanted and he did it even if he faced death. Think of Enoch, who's this kind of mysterious figure in the Old Testament who walked with God. We don't know a lot about him. Think of Noah. If, if you think you're in this alone, think of a guy named Noah who he's in the midst of a culture that is disintegrating. It, the, the Bible says that the earth was filled with violence. If you think it's rough today, it was much, much worse back then. And so God says to Noah, I am so grieved because of the violence within humanity that I'm going to need to start over. I'm going to use your family. And here's what I want you to do, Noah. I want you to build a huge boat. And Noah says, a what? A huge boat. Well, how big is it? And he gives the description. And so Noah starts building the boat. You know how much time passes from the beginning of building the boat until the boat is complete? Somewhere between 90 and 100 years. That's a long process. I'm, I'm like trying to remodel a bathroom right now in my house that was built in 1957. And I like, I tore out a shower on Friday, my day off, and now I've just got a complete mess. And I am like, Jenny, let's go sell this thing and buy something new because I am so tired of fixing things. 100 years. Good, good. Hey, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a huge boat. Why? God says there's going to be a flood. He needs to start over. The earth, earth is so violent that it, like, we're going to kill each other. So when's this flood coming? I don't know. How long have you been building? 80 years. He endured. He endured. Abraham and Sarah, they're linked together. They're, they're a married couple. And God gave them a promise. Abraham is the father and Sarah is the mother of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. It's where Jesus came from. He gave them a promise. You're going to have a child. In fact, you're going to be the father and mother of nations. And then um, they keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And then eventually they're in their 90s and they still haven't had a child. And they've tried all types of little things to try to help God along. They had a surrogate child through another woman. God says, no, that's not my plan. And long after they're naturally fertile. God says, okay, now's the time. And Sarah thinks it's hilarious. She laughs. She goes, are you serious? I waited all those years to have a child. And now she, she actually says, look at this old bag of bones. Now I'm going to have a baby? God says, mm-hmm. And she has a baby. They waited through the decades. Isaac and Jacob and Moses these figures in the Old Testament that all held on to the promise that God had given to their mother and father, Abraham and Sarah. Moses, who delivers the people, wanders through the wilderness for 40 years trying to get the Egypt out of the Hebrews. They got out of Egypt geographically, but they have a whole lot of Egypt within them that God needs to work out. And then, then he moves into recent martyr, uh, martyrs. He says, oh, oh, and I want you to be inspired by the people who were sawn in two and the people that were drawn and quartered. He brings up all these crazy forms of execution. He says, these are the people that are cheering you on. And when you think that you cannot make it, 
Remember, you are not alone. They pioneered. They broke trail. They moved ahead. So when you're weary, when you're fatigued, remember. Remember, you're one in a long litany of people who are living counterculturally, who are living with new values, who are living sacrificially, and you're following God in even challenging and difficult situations. A couple of years ago, I had the honor of going to watch our Tough Harris. A lot of you would know Tough Harris. He's on our staff. He runs our One Heart Warrior program uh, with Native uh, Discipleship and Leadership Development. He was inducted into the Montana Hall of Fame for football. It was just a blast being there. Here's a guy, grew up in Lodgegrass and St. X, and ends up playing six seasons in the NFL, one in the Canadian Football League. And so I get to be there, sit at his table, I open the event in prayer. And you know who was in the room? It was fun. It wasn't like high school football players or college football players. It was veterans. It was a bunch of guys who had played football over the years in different places. Like, did you know that what's now MSUB used to be Eastern, and they had a football program, and they're still trying to bring football back up there. And they're passionate about it. And when they introduced Tough, here's who was clapping. A bunch of people who were veterans, who had played football, who had walked through it, and they knew better than anybody else in the room what Tough Harris had done and accomplished. And it was the veterans that cheered him on. It's the same imagery. When you get tired, when you're weary, when you feel alone, when you don't know if you can keep going, the writer of Hebrews says, you are not alone. The people that have gone before you, they press through and they've proved that it's possible. And they are cheering you on this great cloud of witnesses. And it's not only them. He says, I can tell you you're not alone because Jesus has been there and he's done that. Jesus is with you. He ran the same race that you're running. One of the emphasis of the book of Hebrews is this, is that God is not a God who's immune to human pain and suffering. He came in the flesh and he experienced it. He knows what it is to be sick. He knows what it is to feel rejection and pain. He knows what it is to carry a cross. He knows what it is to deal with temptation. So he says, not only do you have this great cloud of witnesses, but you're not alone because the one you're following has gone down that exact path that you were going down. And so when you feel, how can I get through this? You realize, oh wait, Jesus pioneered a way through this. He blazed the trail. I'm not alone. He understands what I'm feeling. He understands discouragement. He understands when I'm lackadaisical or passive. He understands, and I don't have to stay there. So the first point is simply this. You're in good company. You're not alone. Here's the second point. As we're following Jesus, the writer instructs us to be free. To be free. So he's going to use more sports uh, metaphors. He invites them to strip down or throw off, depending on which version you read it out. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so imagine you were going to run a marathon. 
How many people in the room run a marathon? There's probably some. I'm, my hand's not going up. I ran a 10K and thought I was going to die. How many marathoners? Some of you? Yeah, okay. We've got a few. I've got a friend who runs these ultra marathons. Um, he just ran a 220-mile marathon. And he's like, you got to try it. I'm like, absolutely not. That's crazy. So if you're going to run a race, what do you take with you? You take like your easy chair for when you want to take a break? Uh, I'm going I'm to bring my recliner so when I'm tired, I can sit down in it. No, no. Do you bring like, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my jacket. I don't know what the weather is going to be, so I'm going to dress and put lots of layers on. No. When you're running a race, you carry as little as possible. You just don't want extra weight, right? You don't want anything to encumber you or hold you down. So the author says, so I want you to strip down. I want you to take off everything that's unnecessary. Now, I'm going to show you a picture. And I can't tell you how hard it was to find a picture of a Greek Roman athlete that was appropriate to show in church. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, like I went through dozens. Because you know how Olympic athletes competed? They competed We're going to say it Montana style, naked, okay? Not naked. They were naked. And in every event, they just didn't wear anything. Why? Because anything they had could hold them back. So in our competitions today, fortunately, we don't have to go naked. We just wear really tight things, really tight, really light things. Now, I was looking at this, and I was laughing a little bit because... I was, a, I was a wrestler, and of my three boys, I always wanted them to wrestle, and they all wrestled through eighth grade. They did really well, and then they wouldn't wrestle in high school, and you know when it boils down to it? You know what it was about? It was about the singlet. It was about the tight little, you know, outfit that you have to wear, and uh, they go, Dad, no, I can't, I'm not, uh, nope, <laughs> not wearing it, and I would say to them, well, at least you're not Greek. Because in the ancient Olympics, they wrestled naked, and that would be much more awkward. You've got a lot of coverage in that singlet. And they never bought me. They never, they never took me up on it. And so this is how athletes perform. So, so the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, some of us have way too much. And in our process of following Jesus, we're being encumbered and we're being hindered because of what we are carrying. We typically carry things that bring security. Well, I I, want to make sure I have this in case I get hungry. I want to make sure I have this in case there's an emergency. I want to have this in case I, and God doesn't show up. I need a, I need a a easy out. I need something to fall back on. Oh, he says in our process of following Jesus, if you're carrying a whole lot of stuff, you're going to be encumbered. You're not going to be able to press forward. And so he invites them to strip down. Go to the bare essentials. Don't carry things that are going to be a distraction. And then he brings up this this phrase of no parasitic sins. No parasitic sins, which is fascinating. Parasites. I mean, we're we're all familiar with parasites. Like, I'm going to say parasites, and you're going to, leeches tapeworms, right? Anybody have a collection at home? Like I'm raising pet leeches. 
pet tape. I'm growing him right here. Like this tapeworm, oh, I, like I'm feeding him every. You don't. Why? Here's the problem with a parasite. It steals vitality in life. It doesn't produce its own. A, parati- a parasite takes something from another, another living organism. It feeds off of it. And so in this, this whole idea of be free, the author says, I want you to figure out how to be free from some of the things that are keeping you back. And so if, if I'm trying to follow Jesus this way, and oh, maybe, it's, maybe it's, I, I, it's hard for me to trust God, and so it's easy. In the United States of America, this is so, so natural. Is I trust in money. I, I trust in my ability to work. I trust in my job more than God. And so I'm trying to follow him, but I've got this thing that I'm trying to pull with me as I follow him. Maybe it's a parasitic sin. Maybe it's addictive behavior. And I know it's unhealthy, and I've battled with it in the past. But here's the deal. I'm trying to follow him, but this thing, this thing, I look to it for comfort. I look to it for peace. Instead of being able to say, I'm looking to you, Jesus, for comfort. I'm looking to you, Jesus, for peace. And so this thing hinders my progress. See, this is an ancient challenge for human beings. Is there are things that we carry. There are parasitic sins that are attached to our life. And the problem with them is what? They hinder my progress. And the more I carry, the more fatigued I am. You give me five or six things like this, I'm overwhelmed. And they sometimes produce shame in my life. And I want to pretend that it's not actually there. I don't want to look at it. I don't know how to deal with it. So part of this whole idea of sacrifice is this. I'm trying to say no to things that are important to me, that are attached to me, that aren't from God. So I'm going to say no to things that bring me pleasure and things that I become dependent on so that there can be a disattachment and a freedom. I'm going to say, listen, I am choosing to separate myself so that I can follow. Some of you, if you're reading through the journals, you read in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, it talks about fasting, self-denial. And I love what it says. It says, this isn't to make you look good. This isn't to prove something to God. You know what real fasting is about? It's to break chains that oppress people. It's to break you free from the things that hold you and actually to break other people free. So part of living this way is saying, hey, I know people. I've got friends that are attached to something. I am going to live a life of sacrifice and pray that God would do something miraculous to help bring them freedom. Be free. When Jesus sent out his disciples, so they watched him. And then he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. He actually sent out 70 people. He goes, I want you to go do the things that I've been doing. I want you to speak truth. I want you to heal people. I want you to bring freedom. And and here's what he said, and don't take anything with you. No, No funds, 
No change of clothes. I want you to go into this mission free of the things that bring you security, which then creates dependence, dependence on God. Be free. And then he says this. So he says, listen, in your spiritual journey, you're not alone. Be free. Find a way. Practice sacrifice to get away from these things. And thirdly, he says, and I want you to be focused. I want you to be focused. And what are we focused on? That's the question. He says this multiple times. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's going to be involved in this whole process. He initiated it. He began it. He'll be there at the very, very end. He has done this. Study him. Remember the story over and over. When your faith is failing, when it's flagging, what do you do? Go over the story. Go over who Jesus is. Go over what he's done over and over. And what's it going to do? Oh, I love that last phrase. A shot of adrenaline into your soul. Who inspires us? It's Jesus. Who gives courage to people who don't have courage? It's Jesus. Why do I want to keep focused? There will always be, always be a temptation as I am following God to be distracted and to look to other things. Okay, there, there are things on the periphery. And the, these, these aren't bad things, but they can't be the object of my focus. So it could be relationships, right? And I can take my focus off of Jesus. Oh, man, she's beautiful. She makes me happy. You can have a healthy relationship and your primary focus is on Jesus. It could be things. Uh, it could be a car. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it's on and on. And then if I'm trying to look this way, this is where Jesus is, there's a temptation to look behind me as well. I, I can look back to former achievements and draw my identity from those things. I could look backwards to past failure and let them define me. I could look backwards to past pain. And if I can't find healing, that pain, I'm still focused on what happened to me. There needs to be a process where I'm healed so that I can stay focused on who? On Jesus. There will always be other things that are calling for our attention. I want to show you a couple of pictures as we talk about this idea of focus. So when I left Colorado, I lived like in just Booneyville, Colorado. And I went to Oregon to go to college. And my college roommate, so I'm, I'm from rural Colorado. My college roommate is from downtown Los Angeles. We were like just two very different people coming together. He's like, hey, man, you want to go skateboarding? There wasn't a paved road or a sidewalk within 30 miles of where I grew up. Like, no, I'm not going to skateboard because I've never seen one before. So he was intrigued by my world. And at that point of my, of my life, I was 18, 19 years old. I was, every weekend I was trying to climb a new peak. This is just about climbing peaks, climbing peaks, mountaineering. And so he said, hey, I want to go experience one of these. He'd never really been outside of Los Angeles. And so I said, hey, here's the peak I'm climbing this weekend. It's called Three Finger Jack. 
It's in central Oregon. It's um, like most peaks in central Oregon on the Cascade Range. It's an extinct volcano. And so they all just end up like this really rough. All that remains is the old core of the volcano. Everything else is eroded away. So I said, this is the one I'm doing this weekend. So we leave at about three in the morning. We get to the trailhead. We start hiking in the dark. And when the sun comes up, we're about in this position. And he looks up at this peak and he goes, we can't climb that. I'm like, sure we can. We're going to do this. We can make it. We can make it. So we come up the peak. You come up this side. And the most, the most challenging part is right about here, there's this ledge. And there's an overhang. And literally, the only way you can get past is you have to get down on all four and you have to crawl. It's called the crawl. And what's terrifying about it is this probably 900 feet straight vertical drop. And you've got a ledge this big. And if you fell, you, like, die. You're not hurt. You're dead, right? You're dead, dead. So we get to that point, and I crawl across, and I'm like, okay, Gabe, it's your try. You, you, you need to do it. And he starts, and he flattens down on his stomach because he, like, wants full contact with the rock. And then he looks over the edge, and he just freezes. Can't move. We're, 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 like, minutes go by. Half an hour. I'm like, buddy, come on. Like, I can't come get you. You either go forward or backwards. There's, there's no other options. And he'd, he'd build up the courage to move, and then he'd look over the edge and just freeze. Like, put as much of his body as possible onto the rock. You know how we got across? I finally had to look at him. And I'm, I'm, I'm only, you know, eight, nine yards away. I'm like, Gabe, I got down on his level. And I said, look at me. Whatever happens, do not look down. And he just started like inchworming. Look, no, look at me. Look at me. Because he was always tempted to look at what could happen. Look at me. And as long as he stayed focused, he made his way across the rocks. Now, unfortunately, we had to do the same thing on the way back. But let me show you a picture of the top of the peak. This is when you get up there, that's what it's like. And I actually stood up on the top of the rock, and he cursed at me really, really loudly. And these people are brilliant. They have helmets and harnesses, and they use ropes. Of course, I didn't do any of that. The only way was if he maintained focus. The author is saying this. Look at him. Look at him. Don't, don't, don't look at what's threatening. Don't look at what potentially could happen. Don't look at what's behind you. All of that is part of your life, but your focus, your focus, let it be on Jesus, who's run the race. And so the, the, the metaphor, the analogy continues, is that Jesus has crossed the finish line and he's looking at you, he's looking at me, and he's saying, you can make it. Keep coming. Get free. Be focused. You're not alone. Look at me. That's what Jesus speaks to all of us. Look at me. And let the story of my life and my death and my resurrection Shoot adrenaline into your souls.
so that you pick up and you keep following because this is the race that is worth it. This is the adventure that makes sense of life. Look at me, he says. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pause for just a moment. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give each one of us a unique private moment. I know some of us are trying to figure out what we believe, and that's okay, that's okay. Some of us are very convinced, but would you take a quiet, maybe 60 seconds here, and would you hear Jesus say, look at me, look at me, and see what he might communicate to you. Just you and him. Like the recipients of this book, we sometimes grow weary. And so, we realize that we are not alone in this. There are generations who have gone before. And they're cheering us on. And they've blazed the trail. They've broken the path. And we follow in their footsteps. And Jesus, you've made a way. You understand. So we choose to be free. God, we're not into self-denial for the sake of self-denial. We're into self-denial for the sake of freedom. Lord, the things that we carry that help us find a sense of identity or a sense of security that are unhealthy, Lord, we would want to be free of those things so that we are as agile and mobile as possible to follow you. And we stay focused. Lord, I'm always looking over my shoulder. Teach me to look at you. Now, your name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for spending time in Hebrews chapter 12. I love that. You might want to continue to explore that, that passage. There's a lot more there. God bless you. Be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. If you have questions about who Jesus is or need a free Bible, head to one of these I Have Decided banners, and there's people up front you can trust to pray. God bless you. You're loved.